Thanks to our sponsor, Walker Digital, who have stepped in to help the Numbers Game podcast with their social media. Walker Digital are a digital marketing agency covering strategy, content, video, implementation, and education. The team at Walker have spread the word of our clients and love working with businesses doing good things, helping them to grow and reach more people so they can scale and get larger. I know personally, the first thing I did when growing our business was to outsource social media, blogs, and copywriting because I knew it was something that was not the best use of my time and the girls at Walker Digital smashed it. Sometimes you need to walk before you can run. Find out more at their website, wlkr.digital. This episode does not class as personal advice. It is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. People may also hold positions in the companies discussed. Welcome to episode one of The Numbers Game. I'm Jason and I'm here with Nick and Marty. The Numbers Game is going to exist to give you the stories that you need to know about numbers from an accountant, a financial planner, and a mortgage broker. Don't leave yet. I guarantee you the 30 minutes you spend with us each week is going to give you plenty of insider knowledge that you guys need to know about things that you're doing in your life. It's Marty here, listeners. I am super stoked about the numbers game. I love numbers ever since I've uh, been a cricketer young. I've been checking my averages. Under 10s was about uh, 4.5. Not good, but it did improve. I got the bowling so, average as an under 12-year-old, so I think we've got some gun cricketers here. This is where it all started, but I suppose we need to learn a little bit about who's on the show. And I'm going to introduce Nick Riley, Managing Director of Innovate Finance and Wealth, financial planner. Uh, He likes to celebrate with uh, duck muck, very expensive wine, but only on special occasions. He's an Italian stallion. He looks sharp. He won't tell you that, but when you see him on YouTube, you'll see what I mean. And he's a very, very sophisticated business owner. So we're going to learn a lot from Nick. Welcome to the show, Nick. Well, thank you, Marty. I'm very humbled. Um, I'm going to introduce Jason, who is uh, the rose between two thorns today. <laughs> well, he, he won't admit it. A self-confessed tax nerd, all-round great guy, loves helping people, which is why he's so good in his business. Um, he has more than one business. His main business is Future Advisory. Again, tax, helping people. The side hustle is a gin business, which he might tell us a bit more about, and I think that might actually be his passion. So, wrapped to be here with, with Jason and also you, Marty. And Marty, Marty Vids, what can I say about you, mate? Uh, Absolute lover of all things numbers, telling stories, sports, business, successful exit of businesses in the past, but also ability to tell us some of the mistakes that were made over the journey and tell us why numbers matter. Mate, I've made all the mistakes that could be made. Had a couple of wins along the way that I'm happy to share as well. So let's get into this. This is exciting. I might just jump in there. One thing you haven't mentioned, which I can see on the bit of paper there, is Marty's uh, first career was a stand-up comedian, which is why he's going to be so natural on this show. Yeah. How many people know that? So you're just putting the pressure on from the start now, so I have to be naturally funny. Great. How do we make numbers sexy, guys? That's what we're all about here. Reading the play each week, we're going to start off by telling you what's going on in the industry, interesting facts, pieces of advice, and things that are going to help you in your day-to-day finances or business ventures. First up, Nick, what do you got for us for reading the play this week? I am talking about pure gambling on the stock market that is occurring at the moment. Gambling. Everyone is a trader. Um, Stocks are being pushed through various uh, social media sites, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or 
Reddit is another one that's quite popular now. So that's GameStop. GameStop, that was very, very uh, public news recently. So I have a similar story to GameStop, but the issue is that people are reading these sites and don't do any any research on the companies, listen to other people, and most of these people that are pumping these stocks up are actually owners of those stocks. So I'm going to give you an example, and this is an example that, that was just yesterday, but it's a business called Fat Fish. Um, Fat Fish are a business that invest in tech businesses, um, more recently in the buy, sell, uh, buy now, pay later space, and also crypto, which is what's caused the hype. So the start of this month, and we're in February 2021, Fatfish was valued at around $0.03 cents on the ASX. Uh, yesterday, Fatfish opened at $0.32, cents, uh, peaked at $0.43, cents and closed at $0.18. Cents. So with all the hype, someone has paid $0.43 cents yesterday for that stock, um, and by the end of the day, it lost more than half of their money. So all I'm saying is just be really careful uh, about where you're getting your information from. And then secondly, know when to take a win. If something's on the up, take some off the table. So basically, money into sports bet is what you're recommending rather than into the stock market? Well, depending, you probably would understand the sport a lot more than you would Fat Fish. So I think people just like the name. It's a cool name, right? Fat Fish Group. I'd probably invest in that. If someone told me to. I like the way you're thinking, take the win and catch it on the up. But like you said, Jace, you know, sports bet, at least people have an understanding of what's happening around that. You know, do your research. I think get yeah. professional advice. Don't just jump, jump in. on the hype. Like, yeah. you know, I think I, I followed the GameStop thing and thought, holy crap, I've missed out here. But now I'm reading stories of all these people that have lost money as it comes back down. Mm. And even I think a lot of people would have jumped into the market back in March last year when COVID was kind of crashed the market and mm. everyone's kind of got the, well, well, what next? You know, is it going to crash again? Should I buy now while it's at the top? So well, I think I think when the market dropped by 30% around March, everyone thought there was an opportunity to get in. So you look at businesses like SelfWealth, which are a, a trading platform. They've got a great app. Um, their users has just skyrocketed because people are at home. They've got more money than they might have had and they think the stock market's undervalued. Mm. So everyone's been punting, I guess, for lack of a better word. So, you know, we're, 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 we're at levels now back to where we were pre-COVID. So it's probably time to, to take some money off the table and maybe put against your mortgage or something. And accessibility is the key because it used to be you had to go through a stockbroker to actually invest. You know, now you can do it on platforms like Self Wealth and it's it's easy access for the everyday consumer. Yep. And, of course, there's stories being sold that, you know, I got onto GameStop and paid for my mother's operation and all these emotional stories coming out. Everyone feels like what you just said, Jace, they don't want to miss out. And then, of course, they've they've come late to the party and they get they get crucified on the way down. Yeah. And um, that's why you, you've got to do your research. You can't buy the emotion. You've got to look at the real core value ultimately. And, and what I can tell you is there are people out there that know this and know what they're doing and they know when to pull out because they see the hype. Um, social media has just given everyone the platform to get this this information now, whereas you never used to be able to get it. So interesting times. Nice one. Marty, what do you got for us on reading the play? Well, I'm just thinking fixed rates are at all-time lows. And the big the big question in the market is, should I be fixing my home loan at this stage? I mean, we're looking at two-year and four-year fixed rates around 1.89 through to 2.09. And I would say you got to look at your individual circumstance. The banks have always priced that fixed rate in, 
But given this is as low as I've seen it. So a lot of people rush in and say, I want to fix for four years. But life's interesting in that a lot can happen in four years and circumstances can change. You might have to sell your home, mm. might want to upgrade, and then there are break costs that you don't anticipate. So what I would say is think about your personal circumstances, look at potentially fixing three quarters of the debt and then having a variable component of the debt as well. I think that's really important. The other thing that's not spoken about very often is why are the break costs so expensive on a fixed rate? That was and, my next question. Yeah, and, and people and people don't just don't know. There are there are general exit costs, but if you look at it, let's say you lock something in for four years at one point nine nine percent. Now let's say now I don't think this is gonna happen, but you never know, never assume, right? But let's say now that rate goes down to 0.99 then you're looking on a 500 grand type of loan, that's like $5,000 a year. So if you've locked in for four years, you're, and look, and when I say that, the rate has to come down lower to what you fixed it in for. So that's a really important component. If it stays put, then, you know, no break costs. But if you look at it that way, that can be $20,000 over four years. Like that is, yeah, that's, that's a big cost. So you just have to take that, into account, talk to your prof professional, look at look at your individual situation. That's what I would say. Get professional advice, look at your independent mm. situation. And so, as you said, getting professional advice uh, on my end of seeing people's tax returns and talking through this stuff, I see the $10,000, $15,000 break fee and sit with a client who, you know, just went, oh, I had no choice. I had to make this decision. My circumstances changed. And it was like, well, how'd you get into that situation in the first place? And they went, oh, it just seemed like a good deal at the time. So I took it and the bank were giving some kind of kickback and, you know, for refinancing, it's like, wow. Like, as you said, seek advice, make sure that you're doing the right thing over the longer period of time and not just that split second yeah, decision. Yeah, and how I would look at it, even on a two-year fixed rate, if you've got a variable component, at least you can make accelerated repayments without break costs. So you want to you want to have that capability, but you want to structure it over a two-year period. You might say, okay, we can knock over 50 grand, 60 grand in two years. So you want to have that capability to reduce debt. But remembering on a fixed rate, sometimes you can only make 5,000 to 10,000 extra repayments per annum so or over the fixed rate term. So there are limitations that you have to think about when you're coming up with a strategy. So and coming, um, coming from a, a boring financial planner, angle but hedging your bets too because you really are if you if you're picking a fixed rate you are almost punting on what's going to happen with the rate correct so half fixed half variable you almost can't go wrong spreading your risk yep i like it yeah that's nice fun guys i got something to share i think about 10 or so years ago when zero started and can you imagine being in the room with the founders of zero going hey can you throw in a couple of grand let's see where this goes and it's now worth i think market cap of like 18.3 billion dollars so an Aussie fintech called Thrive just became the fastest ever company to crowdfund a million dollars in funding for their new app or business platform. Now, I get excited by this because it's like, you know, Zero came along and disrupted Myob and Recon and all these other accounting softwares. So what's Thrive? I, I see you guys kind of looking at me like I'm a madman. Mm. Um, it's almost like merging your business bank account with your accounting software, with your lender, with your payment gateway. It puts all four of these together into one powerful app and that's going to allow you to, using AI, it's going to run your business for you in a sense from the financial admin side. It's going to bookkeep your accounts. 
It's going to be a CFO in your pocket is the term that they're coining. Um, and it's effectively, it's aimed at the small business owners, the gig economy, sole traders, not so much, you know, your businesses with 10, 20 employees, but those smaller businesses, which make up the the vast majority of the businesses that we have in Australia anyway, who probably feel like the cost to do accounting and to do financial admin is beyond their reach and they go about it alone. And I think that's why we, we see so many businesses fail. So obviously seek advice, have a bit of a squeeze, but I think Thrive is something to watch moving forward. And hopefully in a couple of years, we can look back at this episode and go, hey, remember when we talked about Thrive and, and look at it now, it's everywhere. Well, efficiencies too, I guess. Like I remember when I started in business, uh, Saturday was my admin day. So that was bookkeeping, paying bills and, and whatnot. So there'd be a lot of small businesses in the same boat. Get some time back too, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on small business owners. So again, we're across many different things. So something like that would be fantastic in regards to just uh, simplifying, you know, that that component of the business. It's funny you say saving time. I think that's one of their big taglines is saving time and money for the business owner. It's my marketing brain kicking in, mate. Absolutely. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. So we hear about the wins. Hopefully, I'm going to have a win on Thrive, but just uh, obviously there's also losses that we need to talk about. And Marty, you've got a great story for us. Oh, well, I, I love this segment because you learn so much more from your mistakes than your wins. And I think we can share some some great stuff with the audience. And something that came up for myself was uh, always in business, I'd, I'd have a budget and it was very strict budget. I knew exactly where the expenses were going. I knew where the profits were going and I'd look at it like a fine tooth comb. But when I got home, I never looked at my personal expenses. And in my 30s, I was just like money was just going through the the floor. And one of the things that I, I, Colleen was really good. My wife's really good on this. I was the chef in business that wouldn't cook at home. Perfect, perfect example. And we love our coffees. And this is an example of it. We love our coffees. Colin and I always love the best coffees. We would have two a day. But what you don't realize when you're having two a day, it adds up. So each coffee, five fifty a week, you're looking at four coffees a day, 22 bucks. Still pretty good, right? You're not. So you get you're not it from wa- the fancy coffee shops. Yeah, you're That's not worried. You're, you're setting it up. You love going to the coffee shop. You're getting that interaction going. You know, it's 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 an experience, right? And then you can then you branch it out to a week. It's twenty eight coffees. You're looking at one hundred and fifty four bucks. And then you branch it out to a year, and you look at eight thousand dollars a year. And then you look at ten years, and you go, "That's eighty thousand oh, bucks." You make me feel coffee. sick at the moment, mate. You haven't uh, compounded that, so yeah, I haven't. In, I, yeah, which compounding that? You know, I imagine how much money I could make off that. But it's. But Cole said to me, enough's enough. She looked at the accounts, which I wasn't looking at at home. So she called me on it. And so she said, we need to buy a coffee machine. And I'm going, I really like going to the coffee shop. I really like my coffee. Anyway, we did our research. We bought the Lovazzo uh, coffee machine, 288 bucks, and bought the Intenso pods. We did some research. We thought we'd like those. We did like them. So on special... You can buy the Intenso pods for $7 for a pack of 16. And with milk, treat yourself. If you're gonna if you're gonna budget, <laughs> treat yourself with Bramber milk. We it, it might cost you six bucks, seven bucks a week, but it is delicious. Are we and there's some money cream or on the top. No, 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 no. We're saving and I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. You look at the weekly cost, two packs of pods at $14. So get them on special, bulk up, and six bucks on milk. $20 a week, that's $1,000 a year in coffee with a $7,000 saving per annum. 
Now, the point I'm trying to make, you might still buy a coffee here or there, which I haven't done, strangely enough, when the awareness has been there. But I realise how expensive habits are. And, you know, and particularly if you just don't have the awareness, you just go about doing what you do because you like to do it. That could be beer. That could be, you know, cigarettes in the past was a big one. So I go, you know, just to have the awareness. And I think, what do, what could that money go to? It could go to future investment. It could go to school fees. It could mm-hmm. go on a holiday. Holiday. It can go to any form of in, that you know, enjoyment. Cost of the money. So yeah. what, what goes towards coffee? What it could actually mean going in your super fund or off your mortgage? Exactly. And, Nick, and I didn't want to compromise my life, you know. So I, I, I go. So I had to reshape. And so Cole and I have made an experience of it. So we mm. catch up and have that coffee and talk about how delicious it is. So <laughs> enhance the relationship and redefine it. So that was that was really important. As two guys in our 30s still, Nick, does that hit mm. home pretty hard? Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly for me being a financial planner, understanding the value of compound interest. And um, one, of, one of the things we love showing our clients is where their super will be in 30 years time, particularly when they're in their mid-20s and they don't care about it and they think, oh, there's just a little bit going there every month. When they see the effect that has over a long time, compound interest, dividends reinvested, they actually get excited and they want to understand their super and they want to know what's happening with it. It's the same with the coffee story. If you put 10 bucks a week away instead of the 10 bucks a day away, if you actually did those numbers, maybe we'll we'll bring them in at some stage. Mm. We'll see what that would have been. In retirement, so when you when people understand that and they see the numbers, that also helps change the mindset, and that's what we really like showing it's, our clients. It's a good point, Nick, and I, I think you know philosophically, when you're in your thirties, you're invincible, and I get that. I was absolutely there, and you know I just wanted to have as much fun and have as much experience as I could have yeah. out there yeah. in the market. But sometimes when you get into your forties, you start to think you have kids, you start to think about legacy. And you start to go, where am I Where am I just all this hard work to make the money? Why aren't I u- utilising it personally more effectively for the future as well? So those questions start to come up. And I think it, I think everyone can relate to that. I know we're talking about a coffee story here, mm-hmm. but it's something that uh, I hope the listeners can connect into. Most people become aware of it just too late. And look, it's never too late, but you nailed it. Responsibilities, education, people go, Jesus, how much am I actually spending on mm. that? If you could bring that back to your mid-20s, I know it's difficult and boring, but you change the game as far as, you know, yeah. re- retirement goes. As Marty said, change the mindset. Mm. And the lesson there is to know the numbers in your household. I think I think so many people don't actually understand that where their money goes, how they're spending it, but also the lifetime or the long-term value of that money. I think, Nick, we might have had the conversation that, you know, 10000 put away this year is about $100,000 yep. 20 years later when you retire. Yeah, well, this came up when everyone started pulling ten thousand dollars out of their super um, through through COVID, not understanding the long term ramifications of that. So, yeah, it's a great That's point. Well, talking of budgeting, that actually leads us into our one percent of this week. So, we're going to talk about the small things that have the biggest impact in your life. And as much as a budget may not seem like a small thing, effectively, what I want to take it back to is having a financial controller. So, Marty, in in losing it with your coffee story. You had to take control of the finances and, st- and become the financial controller. So, when we talk about a financial controller, you've got to think about someone who manages the finances, plans, minimizes risk, looks after record keeping, all those things. I'm talking about a CFO. Now, if you think about your household, who's the CFO in your household? And is somebody actually managing the budget or your business? Because I, I think about what you said, Marty, about how strict 
you run the business numbers. Now, I feel very much the same. I'm, I'm in my 30s. I can probably take a leaf out of your book and learn. As you said, you want to have our listeners. I'm even going to learn from your mistakes. I run the business numbers so tight, but I get home and money between Case and I is willy-nilly out the door. And that's got to stop. I've got to, you know, I've got to take control and become the financial controller. So, Nick, talking about budgets- yep. Why is that super important for you to have a financial control, a business, personal life? And, and what's that going to lead to if we do manage our numbers better? Um, well, it's obviously highly important. The issue is that um, it's not an interesting job, and but someone needs to take the lead. Um, you know, don't don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not downgrading the Barefoot Investor. I think that's a fantastic book and there's some great lessons, but don't worry about the date night where you mm. sort out your finances. Someone put your hand up, take control of it. And it doesn't have to be a big job. You can look at it monthly, tweak it where you need to, um, and then set yourself up for life. And you know, we, we won't go into exact numbers because um, we don't have a, a live example. But one of the things that I find with budgets is it's all good and well to have a budget, but people never stick to it. Mm. And the reason they don't stick to it is because they don't make it easy enough to stick to it. So what I mean by that is that if you set your budget up, you almost should reverse engineer it. So where there's discretionary spending and non-discretionary spending. So discretionary spending is what you choose to spend. So that's your your nice polo shirt. That is your oh your polo shirt purchase thanks, on the way to uh, thank you. Where, where, where were you going? I was leaving the tennis at about eleven p.m. That's that right. Night, so so discretionary <laughs> spend. Um, dinner with your partner. Discretionary spend. Uh, taking the kids to movies. Discretionary spend. Non-discretionary is your bills, your rates, no issues, your utilities, your petrol. Mm-hmm. So split those up and understand what your non-discretionary spend is uh, and versus your discretionary and reverse engineer it. So if, if you say to your wife, okay, we've got $500 a week between us to spend on whatever we would like to spend that on, what you should do is set your account structure up, whether you're paid monthly, fortnightly or weekly, that... $250 a week goes to each of your spending accounts. And then that's all you've got to spend. You generally can't change the non-discretionary items. It's only the discretionary. So make it really easy and make it visual because these days with credit cards, um, tap, tap and go, mm-hmm. people actually have no idea what they spend. If you have a bank account that is going down throughout the week, you know how much you've got left. And if you spend too much that week, you might rein it in the week after. Or if you've got something coming up next week, you might rein it in the week prior, knowing you've got something coming up. So my advice to people is to just make it visual so you can see it and don't just keep tapping because you don't really know Mm -hmm. until it's too late. Yeah. So if you, I think what you've touched on there as well of the discretionary spend. So slaying your expenses, Marty, where can you, where can you make some cuts on your discretionary spend? Yeah. Well, coffee and grog is a big one. First up, we'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all uh, related that. to that. So, but uh, Nick, Nick makes a great point. And one thing I've seen even with uh, homeowners, like even reverse budgeting, putting that $500 in their offset account and the rest of the money in the mortgage, and you can have multiple offset accounts. So that can have an absolutely massive impact on your mortgage. And, it's just an awareness piece. Do the budget. Like, mm. like do it. Most people avoid it. They have it in their heads and um, nothing gets done about it. And I think you really, like subscriptions, like Stan, Netflix, you know, you choose one. Mm. You don't have to miss out. Take away food. 
Three times a week, really? Yeah. We're busy. Uber Eats does mm. make it a little bit too easy, doesn't it? The ice cream that got delivered last night at 9pm probably didn't need that. Yeah, but do it mm. once a week. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying miss, miss out. I'm just saying you can enrich your life through your budget, but it takes responsibility and it, it takes a craft. And if you're a couple, both I think both should be involved. One needs to lead it, but you should be involved as a couple. Most people have their budget in their head. It's a loose budget. Mm-hmm. And business owners do that, you know, so well in their business with um, really being detailed. But then, you know, it's like you the pressure's off once you're home. So I think you've got to use that intelligence across into your personal life. And the I know in my 40s, it started to change around pretty quickly. And I know a lot of people that were very similar started to make some real inroads and accelerate their own personal mm-hmm. growth and their finances through that age. Yeah. I think as well, I mean, the, the key part of that information is is implement a budget. Actually have a budget. Absolutely. And, and get it out of your head. I think I've always been one that's big on writing down goals and, and your budget should be a goal. You're working towards something, whether it's paying off the mortgage a little bit earlier, saving for the holiday, paying your kids' school fees, all those kind of things. Writing that down, setting a goal and a target is probably the most important thing you can do. And then on top of that, it's what tools can you use? I've always thought about like, you know, do I need a fancy tool to be able to do a budget? So I've seen uh, Pocketbook. Pocketbook kind of sinks to your bank accounts. Pocketsmith, there's a few examples. But, you know, is there anything wrong with a good old-fashioned spreadsheet? Probably the best way to do it because you actually have to sit down and make it happen. Although a lot of the banks now are doing it for you as well. You know, I know I'm a bank with Macquarie. Unfortunately, they tell me what I spend uh, on things I shouldn't be spending on <laughs> on a daily basis. So, um, I actually think a spreadsheet is the best way to do it because you need you need to make it simple, and that is the issue with budgeting. It just gets all too hard. So on this spreadsheet, it's totally good example of how to do it if you want to start basic. But w- where do I start, Nick? Like, what are the main columns I should have? What am I noting down? Yeah, so it doesn't need to be war and peace. I think the first thing you should do, and again, the banks provide a lot of um, or make it very easy to do this, but print out maybe your last three months worth of your bank transactions. Um, that way you can actually understand what you're spending on each item. But I would generally break it down into into your, your bills. So bills could be uh, your utilities, um, things such as rates and electricity and whatnot, um, car insurance, anything that's going to come out on a regular basis that you don't have a choice. Um, you have to spend that money within reason. Mm-hmm. Second to that, I would probably put down um, a holiday. If, if, if holidays are your, are your thing, which is most people, um, work out what you want to spend on an annual basis and have that go away um, on a, I suggest weekly for most people because it's far easier to track things weekly. Um, other than that, anything else that you might like to do. So um, do you call it entertainment or you break it into like dining, eating out, alcohol? I, I would, you, how, how, yeah. how detailed do we want to go? Well, Everyone is different. So I think as long as you've got your non-negotiables in one account and then you can set up direct debits out of that account, you don't have to worry about them. Second to that is everyone's different. So some people like to go out to dinner. Some people like to to gamble. There's nothing wrong with gambling as long as it's within reason and as long as it's within your budget. Some people like to drink. Some people like to play video games. So what, what, whatever your vice is, have a, have a budget for that. Um, and that is your discretionary spending. Some people like to buy a lot of clothes. So really simple, bills, discretionary spending, holiday. If you're investing outside of uh, your mortgage, then maybe you have an investment account. And then third and probably most important for most of us is your mortgage. And keep just keep it at that. 
you can you can go beyond that if you like, but that's that's all you really need to do. I, I really like the um, multiple accounts for discretionary mm-hmm. spending. I think that's a that's a big one because most people just run it through one account. But I, I really like that. I think that uh, is something I'm going to implement, Nick. I think it's a great idea. It's easy to keep it simple then. Keep it simple. Stupid. <laughs> Why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> <laughs> and from the audience, we'd love to actually hear some of your budget stories. If you've got a kick-ass way of managing your budget that you think is absolutely worthwhile sharing, please actually send in how your budget's going. Or if you don't have a budget at all and you want some more tips on where to get started, please feel free to reach out. We're all very happy, approachable guys. And, you know, we're, we're still on our journey too. I mean, I don't think any of us sit here going, we're perfect. We've got our budgets nailed. I know the holiday account, we, we haven't kind of put anything there. And, and I think that's kind of starting to get on my nerves a little bit that I don't have something planned coming up. But, yep. Um, yep. you know, you've got to have something to look forward to. So. Agree. Set up the holiday account, have the money go in there, and then you don't need to make a decision on whether or not you go on a holiday. You've budgeted for it all year. You know what you can spend and the money's there. It's just simple stuff. And we are, we are all learning um, and we're still spending too much. Don't worry about that. But at least if it's visual, we know we've done it and we can rectify it the week after. Yeah, it's, it's good to be able to feel bad about it when you see it on a page. Because yeah. <laughs> so, the reality, instead of being a delusion, you know, off somewhere, you bring it into focus. Mm-hmm. I really like that strategy. Today's episode was brought to you by Future Advisory for all your accounting needs and Innovate Finance for all your financial planning and mortgage needs. Marty, what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that you need a financial controller in your household. So make a decision, get together, get financial. Setting up your budget, just do it. You've learned a lot today. Let's implement it. No use having a great idea without a great strategy. And you've learned a little bit about what's going on in finance. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't lose it with those coffee purchases either, Marty. Let's not forget about that, mate. You've given us some valuable lessons for everyone out there. If there's anything you need to know, you can reach us at hello at the numbersgamepodcast.com.au. Drop us an email. We're more than happy to send some feedback back to you and help you out. And even if you think the show was shit, let us know. (laughs) This is a work in progress and we're looking forward to uh, coming to you live every week. Fantastic. Thank you, gentlemen. That's the numbers game. 